Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by Eckhart Tolle. To love is to recognize yourself in another. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you and help you to move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the painter Pam Newell and the story of Pygmalion. Announcements. So I've started my next book. It's going to be a nuts and bolts guide to painting and a guide to developing your style. In one of the chapters, I have a step-by-step guide to creating a painting. And for a limited time, you can go and download that chapter for free by going to my art blog, artistaddy.com, and signing up for my my newsletter. That's on the left-hand side of the page. I'm happy to announce that I will be teaching at the September 2016 Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. Mm. There will be um, two workshops I will be doing. One is a two-day workshop, Victorian flower painting, and the other is called The Secret Language of Symbols. So if you're interested in signing up for those and joining me there, you want to go to artandsoulretreat.com to register. As always, you should join my newsletter so that you can find out about more updates, um, especially if you're local here in Indianapolis, because I don't list those on the podcast. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with the fabulous, wonderful... Pam Newell. Pamela C. Newell creates her award-winning paintings of landscapes and still lifes in pastel and oil. Using rich color to describe light and mood in her plein air and studio work, her expressive paintings reflect a love of nature. Her work is recognized in national and regional juried competitions, including the Hoosier Salon, Indiana Heritage Arts, the Richmond Art Museum, Indiana Arts Club, Chicago Pastel Painters, the American Impressionist Society, Oil Painters of America, and the National Oil and Acrylic Painters Society. Newell earned her BFA from the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. Describing her work, she stated, each painting is a learning adventure, leading me to look forward to the next blank surface, waiting for for my brush or pastel. My challenge is to suffuse my paintings with light and express my feelings about the subject within the limits of that ever-changing light. My goal is to uplift the spirit and reflect the beauty I find all around. Find out more about Pamela Newell and her work on her website, pnewellart.com. That's P-N-E-W-E-L-L-A-R-T. Welcome, Pam. Well, hello, Addie. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. So what's the story of how you became an artist? Well, I think I always was an artist. I think I was kind of born to it. I can remember back in uh, kindergarten, if you want to go back that far, uh, when we had to do phonics, being more interested in coloring than the, the letters, although uh, the letters were fine too. But um, I was always very aware of the visual world around me. Went to art school and was going to be an art teacher, which is kind of ironic way back in the day. But um, of course, you had to have a uh, avocation. You couldn't just be an artist, so that was a good way to go. Uh, but um, went to art school and graduated with a BFA, and uh, then went directly from that into marketing and didn't do any teaching. So, but always kept the art going on the side. It was just something I could never give up. It's part of me. Okay. Okay. And now I'm curious. This marketing. What did you do and how long did you do it and how did you transfer to becoming full-time artist as you are today? I think I'm a very creative person. I'm an idea person. I've got things percolating all the time, ideas that just, I, there's no time to express it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I became, uh, I went into college universities companies and I started doing their graphic design and their newsletter, and eventually they found I was very good at event planning and became their corporate event planner, and I did uh, international conventions for them, as well as all their marketing, and rose to the top there. And then I was a regional marketing manager for DeBartolo, which was a mall developer in the area. It had nine malls in three states, and did a lot of traveling with them. Okay. And kept my art going on the side, so it was a it was an interesting transition, but it was a very natural transition too. Okay, okay. And I'm curious too. So it says that you went to um, University of Massachusetts, and you're from that area, right? How did you end up in Indiana? <laughs> and and also, you know, Indiana has this real quiet beauty, oh, and yes. um, and I think people who aren't from here don't realize that the way. You and I do because we, we look at it so much and we paint it so much. Maybe you can speak to that. Well, really, I was born and raised in Chicago. My father oh, was transferred no. to Massachusetts, okay. and we lived out there for seven years. Okay. And the beauty out there is just spectacular, unbelievable. You have 60-foot pine trees, and we lived on a, a reservoir area where you couldn't, you couldn't walk on the water. I mean, you couldn't fish. You couldn't boat. You couldn't even ice skate because if you fell in, you'd pollute the water. But it was so pristine and so gorgeous out there. And there were the beaches, and then there was Cape Cod, and I lived on Cape Cod during the summer sometimes. It was spectacular. And, you know, we had RISD in Rhode Island, and we had MassArt in, in Boston, and uh, we had University of Massachusetts in, in North Dartmouth, Mass., which is where I went to school. And all those influences just were so positive. Um, I just love nature, you know, having lived in Chicago and then moving to Massachusetts was like a dream come true because Chicago's gritty. It's a city. Yeah. And this was, I've always been a nature person and it was just like the angel sang when I got out there and it was okay. wonderful. And, um, then of course my father got transferred back here and there was another recession out there and I decided I didn't want to teach art. So I came back here looking for a job and okay. this is where I found it. And, um. Yeah, the beauty out here is different. It's very quiet. You sometimes have to search for it, but if you slow down and you take your time, you will find it. Mm. Mm. As perhaps we'll find it anywhere. We really look closer. Right. Okay. 
What draws you to painting over other mediums? Painting and oil and pastel, but you know, you could be a sculptor, you could do other things. Why this? Well, when I was in art school, they made sure we had everything pretty much under our belt. Mm -hmm. And I really thought I was going to be a printmaker because I loved etching, just loved it. Mm -hmm. And I loved um, screen printing too. Mm -hmm. But the screen printing was very toxic, very toxic. So many solvents and chemicals. I loved oil painting too. Um, And I had a lot of that and a lot of figure drawing. And um, came out of school, and it was just something about, you know, I could, I could draw anytime, but people wanted paintings. And I love color, mm-hmm. and I love shape, and I love the way that you could bump two colors against each other and, mm-hmm. and melt, melt an edge or make it sharp. And, and, and there seems to be um, so much more expression in that. Mm-hmm. I was really kind of, you know, I did the etching and I did a lot of printmaking, and color was was minimal in that. So I learned my values first, how to handle values first. Mm. And then when you when you know that, you can jump into color pretty easily. Mm. Yeah. So I love how um, you use these traditional compositions that can be found in the golden age of Dutch painting and so on and so forth, and as I learned when I took that class with you, right? Um, so who are your favorite artists that you look up to for inspiration in the format of your work? And what have you learned from them? And that's kind of a big question, um, especially when this is verbal. And how to describe those things, but perhaps you can. Oh, there's so many, there's so many wonderful pieces of art from the past and even artists of today that are doing such wonderful things. Um, being a person who really loves nature and everything, while my kids were being raised and everything, uh, I studied to be master gardener. I've always loved gardening. I've always loved color, and I've always loved flowers. I've just loved them. So guess who I really like as far as um, – I love the Dutch painters. I love Chardin. I love um, all those people you can't pronounce their names that are in the in the museums out in Europe. But uh, Fanton Latour mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. Okay. He just – the way he can – paint a flower is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, his, he's got so many, so many works of beautiful art out there. Who else do I love? And I'm, and I'm not going, you know, you can look up the Dutch people, but I also love, uh, Franz, Franz Bischoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the other end. Phantom Latour looks very contained and tight. Yeah. Franz Bischoff is just like, his color is unbelievable and shapes and his patterns and his compositions are incredible. And I love the way he can put form to a flower. It's mm. just spectacular. And one of my favorite paintings from a different person, the, the man who invented camouflage is Abbott Thayer. Oh. Yeah. Every, and, and if you show people the, the photo or an image of, of his rose painting, it's just, people just, there's some, something about that. I have that taped to my easel. Oh. He's like one of my idols. Okay. <laughs> I keep a Pinterest site uh-huh. where I collect paintings, old and new, of the masters. And I've, I found a theme that goes through them all. And I think I really love the bright colors, and I love high contrast. Mm. I like stage type lighting, and I love incredible composition. Mm. And a lot of the artists' work you can find on Pinterest, the old masters, and the masters of today that are really collectible. And I have, um, of course, I have Abbott Thayer on there, 
And the contemporary people I really love, Laura Robb is incredible. I took a workshop from a couple of workshops from okay. her. Oh. She really influenced me. Um, so uh, Michael Klein, that man can paint a rose like nobody else. Dennis Perrin. Mm. Yeah. So there are there are a lot of influences, and if I need I need inspiration, I go to my Pinterest account because it's like having a museum that I curated right, right in front of me. Right. Right. Or out in the garden. And I find that so interesting that you're a master gardener. I've thought about doing that program myself because I'm a gardener too. And I don't know, there's a connection between these people who love nature and they love painting and that. So they're always depicting that. And then they they also want to be out there in the garden. And it, what, is there a connection? You, you paint what you love. Yeah. And I think, and I see, mm. I see people who paint flowers, and it, and it's obvious they haven't really looked at things mm. closely. It's like if you were, if you were to be a painter of ships out in New England, mm. you better know how it's put together and what's important, right. what's not, and even even having you know. Um, the shapes to get the shapes correct it has to be part of you it has to be part of your life and i see people who paint horses and they don't know the anatomy mm. but the people who paint them well are riders equestrians they've mucked stalls they've run their hands down the flanks of a horse i think it's right. the same thing for me with with plants i've been in the dirt for my whole life <laughs> right and i've grown them i've cut them i've you know i've been looking at them yeah. very carefully and mm. it becomes something that you know how to express you know when something's not quite right mm. and you and it and I think it really comes out in your art when you paint what you love and what you know right, right. yeah definitely and what you know I mean a while back I had a friend who said hey can you do a picture of um it was a spot in Hawaii but I, I had to say no because I've never been to Hawaii and I don't know the way the air smells. I don't know the way it feels there. I mean, I, I can imagine, and I've seen lots mm -hmm. of photographs, but it, there's a difference when you haven't been in that space and you haven't experienced it. That's why it's so important to paint from life. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to do a commission from somebody else's photographs. Right. Just like you said, you don't know. You don't, you don't have that emotion inside you to take it back out and put it in the painting. Mm -hmm. um, because... To me, a really good piece of art is more than just a rote copy mm -hmm. of what you see. It's it's an interpretation of how you feel mm. yeah. about what you see. And and it has to it has to be real. You can't force it. You that's why knowing a subject and being part of the subject or painting plein air and being in the landscape is so much more important than copying a, a photograph. Mm. I always think it's an insult when somebody says, oh, it looks just like a photograph. It's like, oh, you just stabbed me in the heart and <laughs> twisted the knife. Oh, I think I failed here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm sure they meant it as I a know. compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the story of how you became an art teacher? Oh, that's kind of funny. It's ironic because, you know, graduating with a, a BFA and then a d degree in art education certified, you know, K through 12 and all that stuff. I decided I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to be cleaning up after kids, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but as I got older, I kept, and, and, and I was, t I, I've taken a lot of workshops from some phenomenal people. 
And being in those workshops, I found myself um, having the answers, oftentimes, sometimes before the instructor would. Mm-hmm. And um, I also decided, you know, hey, why don't I give it a shot and teach at the Indianapolis Art Center and see? Mm-hmm. I learned I, I, I learned how to do pastel because I always wanted to paint in pastel, and they never taught it in art school. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was easy when you're raising a family because you can set the color down. It doesn't dry. You don't have to scrape your palette. And the brushes are always clean. <laughs> there isn't a mess. It's not toxic. So I taught myself pretty much how to do pastel. And I got better and better at that. And friends kept saying, will you teach me how to do it? Will you teach me? Uh-huh. And I and I did that. I did, I did, um, I had, it just, you know, it was like something kept knocking at my door. Um, this opportunity to teach and people kept saying, um, so-and-so took, took a private lesson with you. Can I come next time? And it just started snowballing and it was pretty soon. It became pretty obvious that this was a path I needed to, to do because people kept asking me to give them private lessons okay. and to teach. Yeah. And it got to the point where I thought, I can't do this anymore in my house. Yeah. Okay. I need to go somewhere like the art center where I can, take what I know and, and give it to a whole class. Mm. So that's mm-hmm. how that started. <laughs> yeah. So when you're teaching, what do you say most often to your students? Oh, I say a lot, don't I, Addie? <laughs> I think the most important thing for me is um, paint from life because you will go from zero to 60 very quickly painting from life because mm-hmm. There's so much information out there that you can't find in a photograph. Photographs turn um, shadows dark and flat and lights get blown out and the colors are off and you're just not part of it. I also tell people uh, it's it's good when if you don't want to play in air paint to set up a still life, you will learn a, a lot about form and light from a still life. Mm-hmm. So what I drill into people is set it up like a stage Put your diva in the spotlight, <laughs> and uh, let yeah, Diana Ross. Diana yeah. Ross in the spotlight. Younger people don't understand who that is. They always say, "Well, who's Diana Ross?" Put Diana Ross in the spotlight, and then um, yes, <laughs> then you have light and you have shadow, mm-hmm. and you have to decide if it belongs to the light or if it belongs to the shadow. It's that simple, and the light side is usually the warm side. And the shadow side is usually the cool side. And I have a little exercise in class where I show people with my um, light tricks yeah. <laughs> on how to see that. And it's it's usually something that they can't unsee. It's an eye opener. Right. And yeah. it's pretty cool. So that's what I'm always drilling in. We co- always keep coming back to the fundamentals. So what classes do you have coming up that people can sign up for? Well, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot and a few in the works. Well, I have two in March. Um, one's in Danville, Indiana, March 5th and 6th. And then I want to have one at the Richmond Art Museum, March 18th and 19th. I'm working on a class in Zionsville for June. We don't have the details yet or the date, but look for that in a art center in, in Zionsville. And in July, I'll probably be at the Southside Art League. We're working on details for that. And then August 20th, and I think it's the 21st, I'm in New Haven, Indiana. Okay. And that's kind of an annual workshop that I have up there. And I just add them as I can. So, and again, this, this is something that 
people just keep asking me to travel and yeah. teach a workshop with them. Yeah. Well, so check my website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get on Pam's newsletter, guys, because you will you will thank yourselves. It's definitely worth it to take a class with her. Um, what advice would you give to your younger artist self, Pam? Um, that mileage is the key. That if you, and this is something I learned a long time ago, which was really helpful to me and really pushed me over the edges. Art is never going to be comfortable. You are never going to feel like you're in control. It's always a scary proposition. And that will never, ever change. Doesn't matter how good you get. Because your taste is always two years ahead of your ability. Truth. <laughs> it's true, and you can you can see where you want to go, yeah. but you're not quite there. Yeah. And as soon as you stop learning, if you think you're perfect, mm-hmm. you're gone. You're dead. You're yeah. dead in the water. You're not. Yeah. You're not making good art. Mm-hmm. So, I think I would also tell myself to take a few more risks with my art because if you don't, if you're if you're if your work is so precious to you that you can't scrape it or wipe it, wipe the past off mm-hmm. off or brush it off and make a change when you know that you need to make a change. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't do that, you're not growing. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got to be willing to destroy it to get better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, Pam, how I started calling you the destroyer in our class? <laughs> yes. Because because what, what she would do is she'd come over and she'd say, okay, Addie, you worked really hard on this for an hour, and now you've got to destroy it. You've got to wipe it all back. And and, and I'd say, no. And then, you know, I'd have to close my eyes and destroy it. And But it was really, really good process. Because it's you destroy and then you rebuild. Yeah. You see what You see what's important. Because I think we tend to put in way too many details. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's kind of like, I mean, art relates to every other thing. People don't want the details. Mm-hmm. They want to insert themselves in your painting. So when you put the details in, it's almost like building a wall. You're shutting them out. Mm-hmm. So the less you say, with it's like poetry. The more you can, the more you you can say more with less. Perfectly chosen strokes, color, and a plan, and how to get there. It's editing. It's all editing. Yeah. Yeah. And unifying. Oftentimes I yes. found when we destroyed it, it would it, it would unify the space and it takes it all back to one level and then you can pick up and you can you can sharpen an edge or keep something soft or take something out or realize that you need a, a punch of color in one area. Mm-hmm. It's you're kind of like a conductor in a symphony. You're deciding what's important. Mm-hmm. You don't have everybody playing on playing the same notes at the same volume at the same rhythm all the time. Mm. Mm. What's the main message you're trying to convey with your work? Oh, there's a tough one. <laughs> oh, I just I just want people to see the beauty that I find everywhere around me. S- to slow down and really take a look. I find the it's really funny, the paintings that sell instantly, everybody, there's always something about them. There's, there's an essence in them that's, it's simple, but it's, it says the message. And um, God, what is that message? It's just that I find color. I mean, have you ever, 
looked at something and just went, oh, yeah, we're all visual people. And this happens to me too often driving down the road. It's a bad thing because you know, I drive by shootings and stuff with my camera. But um, <laughs> I just want people to stop and, and get that that wow feeling, mm-hmm. to just, just that thrill mm-hmm. um, in my art. And I also want them to be able to look at it and get that wow and then stop on a different day and see something totally different that gets them excited. It's eye candy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just the world is so beautiful when you really slow down to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to convey. It's just beautiful. Last question. What's your favorite art book or art story? Okay. Oh, um, I, I had so many art books I couldn't even. I have a library full of them. But, you know, as far as um, who boils down to the essence, I really love Richard Schmidt's Alla Prima mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And the Katie Swatland um, companion piece. Oh, um, you'll be proud. I read that one because you told me to, Pam. <laughs> yeah, it, that that is just wonderful. And there's a lot of um, James Gurney has a great book out there on color. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to know about portrait painting, the, the Loomis books are pretty darn good. There's there's just so much that you can pick up going, th- you know, through the books and really reading Henshi and all of those. Um, but if you want to know a, a, a novel that I just read that I think is really a thrill okay. for somebody who loves art is The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. Okay. And there's a painting, there's a, a Dutch painting that starts at the beginning and it, the, and it's coveted and it's woven through the whole book and it's kind of symbolic. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very dark book, but it's a thriller at the same time. And it's just... What really struck a chord with me is, you know, when all is said and done, really nobody cares about the football scores. It's and and nobody will fight for football scores, you know, in the future. But I, you know, if you watch the movie, um, oh, what is the name of that? Where they were they were going after the masterpieces um, from World War II that were. Um, stolen oh. by the Nazis. Oh. It was just on television. Yeah. I've seen oh. it about 600 oh. times. I'm blanking too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what is saved, what is the best thing about our culture is the arts. It's mm. what people will fight over. It's this essence that you can't find in any other way. And that's why this book, um, The Goldfinch, just struck a chord with me. It's like, what will people be willing to to do all kinds of crazy things for. It's artwork. And I saw that I got to go to France this summer. And I was in the Louvre. And it was just, it was like, oh my gosh, I had to pry me out of there. And then the then the and then the worst thing was the next day we went to the Orsay. Oh yeah. And that was even that was just like oh unbelievable. That was like the lifetime experience to see all this incredible art. And that stands the test of time. And that's, I think, what we're all trying to convey is that the beauty that these artists are interpreting, they can look at the same scene that you and I are, but it, through their filter, through their, their brush, they're communicating a language that just speaks to the whole world, you know? And that's, that's what's really cool about art. And I think you'd enjoy that book too, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Pam, for joining me here. Oh, thank yeah. you for inviting me. <laughs> It's been fun. And now for the classic story of Pygmalion. 
Once upon a time, there was a sculptor named Pygmalion. This man studied in the finest art schools and crafted his work until he was known as the best sculptor in the land. He would wake in the mornings and carve images into stone until late at night. He bragged to his friends that the reason he was so successful was because, well, he didn't do anything else. He didn't even want to marry a wife. Because he thought a woman would distract him from his work. One day, he bought a large piece of marble. Stone, it was perfectly smooth and creamy. Pygmalion carved into the marble the form of a woman. And when he finished, he stepped back to look at her. She was perfectly beautiful. Pygmalion stared at his sculpture for a long time. He imagined that she was real. He wanted for her to be real. He thought that if such a perfect woman existed, he would marry her. Time passed, and every day Pygmalion would sit and stare at his sculpture. He forgot about his job. He forgot about his friends. His love for the sculpture grew until finally Venus, the goddess of love, noticed his pain. Venus whispered in Pygmalion's ear, kiss her. He rose, walked to the sculpture, and touched his lips to hers. And when he did, he found that her lips were not hard and cold, but soft as flesh. Pygmalion found that his sculpture had been changed into a real woman. She wrapped her arms around him and returned his kiss. Venus had made the sculpture real. Pygmalion married the woman. They raised a family and lived happily ever after. Ha <laughs> So my thoughts on this story, I think it, it goes back to what Pam said. We create with our artwork what we love. We create what we love. And and if you try to suppress what you really want, it might just come out in your artwork. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and we don't need the touch of a goddess for life to, to come to our creations. We make them alive through our actions and our our thoughts and the way we're expressing ourselves about our artwork and the way we're changing and morphing reality with the images we're depicting or the forms we're creating through sculpture. I think there's definitely a message in the story of Pygmalion about the importance of being true to your nature. Yeah, it, yeah, repressing your instincts in favor of being a workaholic is just going to create some imbalance. So watch out for that. The source of this story, um, Pygmalion is a Greek myth recounted in Ovid's Metamorphosis, which was written in 8 AD. Many renditions of this story have been written, including um, movies like My Fair Lady and Mannequin. This story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. If you love this podcast and want to receive a monthly update 
on the newly released shows, you want to sign up for my newsletter at azirfineart.com. And there's also um, a podcast page on there where you can make a donation. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.